been doing a series here at Thrive over the past month and a bit. It's called The Call. Everyone say The Call. And before I invite our very special guest to bring the Word of God to us this morning, let me tell you what this series is all about for those who are new this morning. See, the call is all about following Jesus. It's because you and I have a call in our lives. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, the fact is God has a call in your life. What is a call? God's call is God's invitation to you to live your life for a purpose that's bigger than yourself. That is God's call on your life. And God's call means that your life is not just about your happiness, your dreams, your comfort, your convenience, your agenda, but it's about living your life for a purpose that's bigger than yourself. It's for God's purposes. And the funny thing about God's call is this, is that when you start to really focus on God's call, when you start to really focus on God's purpose for your life, as you seek God's kingdom first, he just tends to add everything that you need. I find that when I focus on something other than God and focus on something other than Jesus, when something else is at the center of my life, I find that I kind of get distracted and life is a lot more frustrating. Life is not as peaceful. But when I focus on God and his kingdom first, he adds everything that I need. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And well, by the way, it's a new year. And so you may, you may hear me say, if you believe that, say amen a little bit less. It's because I want to not spoon feed you. I want you to take ownership of your, of your faith. Right? And that means when I say something on the stage or when the Bible is being preached or we're, when we're praying out loud, I'm not going to necessarily wait for you to wait for me to say, if you say amen. If you hear something on the stage and it resonates with your heart, whatever culture you come from, no matter how shy or how you know, introspective or introverted it is, I want to invite you to be responsive. Yeah? Because when, when, okay, that's good. Wait, we're getting better. Hey, we're getting better. Tell me to give my heaven and say, we're getting better. Not only does that encourage the people on the stage, and even, not only encourage the people around you, but even more, actually most importantly, it encourages you. It, it, it builds you up. It edifies you. It makes you stronger. And so I'm encouraging you, when you hear something from the, the Bible, when you hear someone preaching the word of God, when you hear someone praying, you don't wait for someone else to say amen. You can say amen or yes, and you just own it in your heart, and it becomes a part of you, and you start to grow as a result. Yeah. How, how'd that song go? Is, uh, like, uh, is that, uh, I will not grow faint, but my heart grows stronger as I choose to seek your face, right? It's when I choose to be proactive, when I choose to take ownership, when I choose to move forward. doesn't matter what someone else behind me is doing. doesn't matter if my neighbor's got his hands in his pockets and he's you know, looking at his phone. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. And when I choose to seek his face, I get stronger in the process. Amen. Turn your neighbor, give my heaven and say, I see you're getting stronger already. Praise God. Praise God. I might still say, if you believe that, say amen, just because it's a habit and I like to say it sometimes. But the fact is that you don't have to wait for that anymore. This is a church where we're out loud, we're alive, we're expectant, we're involved, we're united, and let's live that out more and more every single day. Right now, I'm going to ask uh, you to give a very, very warm welcome to uh, Pastor Jorge Lynn. Pastor Jorge is going to bring to us uh, a powerful message to help us cap off the final message of the call series. We're so blessed to have him and his lovely wife Emily with us this morning. And so would you bring a big, big, loud, big, big, warm, big, big, warm applause and shout Pastor Jorge Lynn. Praise God. Good morning. Thank you for a warm welcome. And uh, I'm glad to be here again and uh, to see so many of you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always, uh, yeah, just a really, really uh, cozy place to be whenever I come here. And uh, I'm always very encouraged in how all of you praise God and worship God. So just keep that up. I'm, it's great. I, I'm very encouraged in the mornings when I come here. 
Uh, today I wanted to share from, uh, with you from um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to that. Uh, before I say anything today, though, I wanted to start by reading of that text, in particular from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Now, some of you may don't know this. 15, verses 15 to 20 is what some people call a hymn or a song, or and some people call it poetry about Jesus Christ. So let's start by reading that before we get into the message today. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which, which show up in there, up there. So it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. So, I wanted to start with a question for us, now that we read this text. What is holding your life together? If you had to give an answer to that, what, and, and you're thinking about the, the, the answer, think about something that holds your life together in everything that happens in your daily life. So what is holding your life together? What is holding your life together? If I had to give an answer to this question, the first thing that comes to my mind is probably my cell phone. Now, we all have cell phones, right? For how many of you, you would say your cell phone holds your life together? You say, my cell phone is part of every piece of my life, every day. It is part of my life, every day. From the moment I wake up, it is my alarm clock. And then I go into the apps, and right away, I don't even do anything. I get up, turn off my, my alarm clock, and I go into an app and read the news of the day. What's going on? I, I check the news in, in CTV, BBC, News 1130, and then I check the messages that people send me. In WhatsApp, in Facebook Messenger, in line. And then I check my emails. What are people send me while I was asleep, which is only <laughs> six hours ago. And everybody else was sleeping as well. But, and then I check what I have to do in my calendar for the day. And then I check the sports. And then I go and go cook breakfast, because then it's. I use it also for my online banking. And when I go out, I use it for my Starbucks app, for my McDonald's, you know, things like that. And I just downloaded IG, because I was told that uh, otherwise I'll be, <laughs> I'm not uh, you know, current with the time. So I downloaded IG. I did not sign in yet. It's just sitting there as an empty app. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll get encouraged one of these days to sign up. Emily uses my phone to set reminders for me for things that I need to do for home. Try that with your spouse, it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I use it for everything. As a matter of fact, there was one time that I, that I left home without it to go meet somebody. And I kind of knew where that coffee shop was, but I wasn't exactly sure where it was in the block. So I kind of took some turns and couldn't find it by the time I arrived. Uh, the person I was supposed to meet was not there. I thought, okay, I'll give him a call, but guess what? My phone is not there. I don't have it. So I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for 10 more minutes. This guy shows up, and he tells me, I called you. I'm like, yeah, well, I forgot my phone. But anyway, don't worry about it. Let's sit down, and let's start talking about what we have to do today. So we sit down, and I realize all my notes are in my phone. <laughs> so that was the kind of day that I had. So I would say that if somebody asked me what holds my 
practical, my schedule life together is my phone. But what holds our lives together? What is something that holds our lives together from the inside out? What is something that if we don't have holding our life, we would not, we would be lost. We wouldn't know what to do. What is that something that we need holding on to our lives? Some call this a set of principles. Others call it a center. And that's the word that I kind of want to use today, a center. Now, it is a center because it holds our lives and it informs all of our lives. For example, it is a center before, because it informs our identity, who we are. It is a center because it guides our decision-making. It shapes how we see the world, how we understand the world. It inspires us to take action, to motivate us to continue to move forward. So what is this center that holds your life together? Now, Stephen Covey, he's a writer of a book called uh, uh, Seven Habits of, uh, of Effective Leadership. He explains it this way. He said, some of us have as our center our career, our school, our money, our families, our friends, our relationships, our church, our ministry, or even ourselves. And he says that when we dive into each and one of these centers, we quickly find out that none of these centers that we think are holding our lives are helping us hold our lives in a healthy way or grow in a healthy way. And some of this even hurt us more than help us. So, for example, I'm going to give you four examples because I want us to understand why I'm talking about this. For example, if our center is money, then money informs our identity. Who we are then is about how much money we have. If money guides our decision making, then our decisions will be based on the question, the answer to the question, what makes a profit? See, the way we see the world if money is at our center is based on our love for money and all the decisions in the world and life are based on economical benefits. If money is our inspiration to take action, then our motivation is only limited to what our money can do. Now, if relationships is our center, then our identity is dependent on what people think. And if in our relationships is one person, then our identity is based on what that person thinks about us. And if relationship is our center, then our, the way we make decisions would be based on the questions, what will they think of me? The way we see the world would be through social life, the lens of social life. And uh, at worst, we start living a people-pleasing life and fear that we will never live up to people's expectations. If relationship is our inspiration and our center, then we're limited to what is in our comfort zone and almost often motivated only by peer pressure. Now, that's good. Let's talk about church. What happens if church is in our, our center? If church is our center, then our identity is based, most often than not, in the position and role that we have in church. The higher that position, the more confident we are. And if we lose that position, then chances are that we feel that we have lost our identity and we, we have, we'll grow in a sense of insecurity in church. If church is our center, our decision-making is based on what helps me keep me in my position, what does not threaten what I'm doing in church? What, what, what people think that I'm doing right or wrong? And the worldview would be something like Christians versus not Christians or 
the miss ministry cannot survive without me or there are people that need me, which is a savior type of mentality. Our inspiration, if church is in our center, is based on how, how we see success in ministry and oft, more often than not, is tied to what people see as you, uh, success in you. And if that is the case, then chances are that we will live according to the praise of others and reacting almost often in false humility. Now, the last one I want to talk about is self. If ourselves is our center, this is the easy one, been there, right? <laughs> if ourselves is our center, then our identity is always changing based on what, how we want people to accept us or what we want from people. Our decision-making is rooted in the question, if it feels good, what I do, what, uh, what I want to do, or what I need, or what is in it for me. See, the way we see our world, if our center is us, ourselves, is me first, and then the rest of you. And the inspiration would be limited to what things, uh, the things that I want to do without caring what other people need. So these are just four examples that I think cover most of our categories, and you can think what is in your center and, and, and answer those questions as well. And I'm not saying that career, money, uh, relationship, church, or our own selves are, are bad things for us, but I, what I'm saying is this, that if we put these things at our center and let these things inform who we are and how we live, then it is, might not be as healthy as we think they are. I don't want to discourage you, but I want to share with you a message today that hopefully will call you to put something else in your center. Now, if you believe you're in a good place with your own center right now, I ask that you have an open mind to what I'm going to share today in scripture today. But if you are wondering what could be a better center in your life or you have realized that you need a better center, these verses are going to inspire you to find a new center. And Paul, in these verses, in this hymn, in this song, he tells us about a better center in Jesus Christ. And he tells us three things about this center in Jesus Christ, which is going to show up in your PowerPoint. I'll explain them, so I'll just read them first. One, that Jesus is the Lord of creation and the goal of creation. Two, that Jesus is the Lord of new creation and the goal of reconciliation. And three, Jesus is the center that holds everything together. So right before I, I start this, I want to say there's a lot to say, so I'm going to use a sandwich method. You know what a sandwich is? A sandwich is, by definition, two pieces of bread and something in between, right? So whatever is in between that you like, it could be meat, it could be tomatoes, it could be cheese, mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise. <laughs> I eat mayonnaise uh, with everything. Uh. I eat my dumplings with mayonnaise. Forget soy sauce. I mean, what? <laughs> so to me, the sandwich is two pieces of bread and mayonnaise. But if you like, let's go with meat because it's more standard. Otherwise, <laughs> which also means this, that until the sandwich is completed, you're not going to have a full picture of what it is. Okay? So let's, let's dive into the first piece of meat. So first piece of bread, sorry, not meat, bread. First piece of bread is Jesus is the Lord of creation and the goal of creation. And it says in our verses again, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. I'm going to jump straight through to the very end. And all things were created through him and for him. So this is answering the question, who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. Keywords, image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Now, once I was told that if you want to know how a person looks like when they're older, just look at their parents because there is a likeness to it, right? So when we think about image, most of us, if we're familiar with the Bible, it, brings us, uh, it reminds us of the verses in Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27. We are created in the image of God, meaning we're created in the likeness of God. But we also know from our scriptures that our image of God is a broken one. Why? Because sin has broken our relationship with God, and so our image of God is a broken one. But that is not the case with Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning he is the perfect reflection of God whom we cannot see. He's, he perfectly represents God. But there is more. There's more to this. Jesus is also, second key word, the firstborn of creation. Firstborn, what do you mean by firstborn? Now at first read, we might be thinking he's the firstborn of many, piece, many people that were born or firstborn of many siblings. But that's not what he's saying. We, well, that's not what the word firstborn means. We know from the Old Testament that the word firstborn is used of King David, who was the youngest of his brothers. We also know that God calls his people Israel his firstborn. Why? Because firstborn means to have a special relationship in the Father's love. Or it also means to have a privileged status above all others. So to call Jesus the firstborn of creation is to say that Jesus is, is uh, relationship to the Father is, is an special one. And it's a relationship that it has privilege to all access to the Father and closeness to the Father. Now, why do we need to know all this stuff? Why, why is the hymn starting us with who Jesus is? Because it is leading us to this particular point. It is saying this, that this Jesus that we just read in verse 15, who perfectly represents God and who has privileged status above all others, this same Jesus is, as it says in verse 16, by whom all things were created. In other words, this same Jesus is the creator of the world. This same Jesus is the creator of everything. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't the Father God. It was Jesus the Son who is the creator of all things. And this will have implications later as we continue. So everything in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, everything owes their existence to Jesus. Wow, everything, yes, everything, everything. Now, what, what, what significance or importance do we get from the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things? The fact that Jesus is the creator of all things, that includes all of us here, it means that we all belong to him, which is our point. Jesus the creator, is the creator of all things, and we all belong to him. We all belong to Jesus. We all belong to Jesus, whether we are Christian believers or we are not. We all belong to Jesus. So the question is this for us this morning right now is this. If we all belong to Jesus, have we been living as someone who belongs to Jesus? Or even better, in the context of having Jesus at the center or a better center, how does belonging to Jesus inform our identity and who we are? Has it been informing our identity? 
Do we come back to it when we feel insecure and we're lost in, in we feel lost or, or a sense of insecurity of who we are? Is belonging to Jesus guiding our decision making? When we decide to help people that are in need or not, or when we decide to forgive or not, or when we decide to love or not? How is knowing that we belong to Jesus shaped the way we see the world? Is it Christians versus non-Christians, all those people outside? Or is it love and compassion for all the way Jesus sees the world? How does belonging to Jesus inspire us to action, to take initiative, to reach out, to help, to forgive, to share the gospel? See, how we answer these questions would give us a real picture of if we belong to Jesus or not, or how have we been belonging to Jesus. But there's more to help us answer this question. Verse 16 also says this, that all things were created through him and for him. Now, this is not a repetition, but this tells us an additional detail. It says that we, who are created by Jesus, we not only belong to him, but we also have a purpose. We have a purpose, and that purpose is Jesus himself. I think I heard that in the beginning when I came here. That purpose in our lives is Jesus himself. What do I mean by this? I mean, this is what I mean. That the ultimate destiny of everybody's life, the ultimate goal is Jesus. Amen? Amen? Great. F.F. Bruce puts it this way. It's a quote that I, that I read. He says, all creation is created for him because Jesus is the goal to which they are all moving towards. So in addition to our first question there, do we live as someone who belongs to Jesus? We need to ask the, question, the additional question, is, is the ultimate destiny and goal of our lives Jesus Christ? Or more to the context of the New Testament, is the ultimate destiny and goal of our lives to be more like Jesus? Now, the answer to this may be a simple yes for many of us, but the real question I guess we can ask as well, or a deeper question, have we been living more and more with Jesus at the center of our lives? Have we been living more and more trying to put Jesus at the center of our lives? Because the reality is that we may know that he is the ultimate goal and destiny, but that doesn't mean that we will live moving towards him necessarily or have him towards us in our hearts. See, the reality is that more often than not, we take detours, and sometimes those detours are in purpose, sometimes they're not. But when we replace Jesus with other things at the center of our lives, Jesus is no longer our goal. Even if we say it is, he's no longer our goal. Now, have you ever wondered why in a moment of weakness we give in to temptation? It is because of sin, right? Because sins change our ultimate destiny and goal to other things. Sin is the reason why we forget that we are the creation of Jesus and that other people around us are also Jesus' creation. Sin is the reason why we live, we live the lie that we belong to ourselves, that we can put another center in our lives and not have Jesus. Sin is also the reason why we hear of worldviews that say that it's more important to protect ourselves than to reflect the love of Jesus. Sin is the reason that caused the rift between us and God and us and everybody else. 
Sin moves us away from Jesus and it moves us away from our goal in Jesus Christ. And because of sin, creation and none of us and all of us cannot reach Jesus. We cannot. Instead of moving towards Jesus, we're moving in the wrong direction. We're moving away from him. And creation was moving away from Jesus. And creation was moving in the wrong direction. And notice I said was. Why am I saying was? Because Jesus did not leave us nor creation without hope. For, for he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, so that all who have faith might not perish, but have eternal life. And that is our second piece of bread. The bread of life. And it says this in our second piece of bread. Jesus is the Lord of new creation and the goal of reconciliation. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, it says, and in everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. First keyword here, he's the beginning, the firstborn of creation. Sorry, the uh, first keyword, firstborn, firstborn again. But in this case, firstborn from the dead, which in context means he's the first to rise from the dead. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you push back a little bit and say, well, Lazarus rose from the dead first. But of course, Lazarus died again. Jesus rose from the dead and never died again. That's why we celebrate Easter. But there's more. And amen, yes. And there's more. There's more because he says that Jesus is the beginning. Now, being risen from the dead, Jesus is the first of many. That's why our verses say he's the beginning. Daryl Johnson explains it this way. Jesus is the start of a new pattern, a new way of life. What did Jesus start? He's the first and the start of new creation. When he died and rose again from the, from the grave, he started and by a new creation by giving all of us an opportunity to be the new creation. The term new creation refers to all of us who place faith in Jesus and live by faith in him. So Christians, we are all new creation because of what Jesus has done at the cross. He started new creation, which leads us to our next point. Jesus is the source of new creation. Now think about that for a moment. We just said at the very beginning, the first piece of bread, that Jesus is the creator or the one who started creation. Now we're saying that Jesus is the one who starts, started new creation. This makes Jesus both the starter or the founder of original creation and the founder of new creation. This is the plan from the beginning of time, that in everything Jesus would be the supreme, the first, above all other beings, which is, which, which is why we read in verse 18, preeminent. This tells us that God's plan was to make Jesus the Lord of everything from creation, the beginning of time, to new creation. Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus was the plan and still is the plan. And these implications are huge. You know, hello? Yeah, there we go. You know why? I, I had to keep you in suspense for, for a minute there. <laughs> you know why is this is important for us? Because we cannot ignore the Jesus that the Old Testament tells us about. We cannot ignore the importance of Jesus as the creator and his, significant, and his significance for new creation. Jesus' death at the cross is not simply the son of God 
who came to die for our sins, but is the creator himself who came to die for his creation. Amen. Now, why do we need to know this and what is leading, is leading us to? Verse 20 tells us this. It is through Jesus that everything is reconciled and, make, and, and made to peace. It is this, through this Jesus Christ that we know the creator of original creation and the, the creator of new creation. It is through his death and the cross. It is through this Jesus who is the greatest of all. It is through this Jesus whose, own, whose life is enough to restore us to the right goal and ultimate destiny in him. Nobody else can do that. Remember earlier we said that sin moved us away from Jesus, and so creation now is moving in the wrong direction. Instead of towards Jesus, creation is moving away from him. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything on heaven and on earth now is going in the right direction again. Is restored. They're moving again towards Jesus. That was the original uh, intention of creation, to move to Jesus. The ultimate goal is to move towards Jesus. Now remember earlier we said our image is a broken one, but now because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can grow more like him into his image. But to do that, to do that, we need to have Jesus at the center of our lives. And now we can do that. Before we couldn't because we were moving in the wrong direction. But now that Jesus came and died on the cross, we can. We can do that. And that's our next point. By the blood of his cross, we can all place Jesus at the center of our lives. Now, a question that I always get. Well, if all of creation is going in the right direction towards Jesus, why is it that there's still evil, injustice in the world? Why is it that people are still walking away from Jesus? Why is it that there's still people that don't believe in him? Well, by the blood, Jesus broke the whole sin in our world. This doesn't mean that we are all willingly submitting to Jesus or, or that we are wanting to give our lives over to him, right? And the reality is, if we're honest, even Christians many times face the challenge and sometimes even struggle to keep Jesus as the center of our lives. But by defeating the enemy on the cross, Jesus put things in the right order so that now we have the opportunity to return to him to the right path. But the interesting part of all is this, this, that Jesus is working in us even when we don't know it, okay? Someone once explained it this way. Now, I'm going to throw you back to grade 12 or, or first year university. Archimedes principle, right? No. <laughs> everybody, no, no, everybody, no. Nobody jumped up or anything. Archimedes, <laughs> huh? Eureka. Eureka, yeah. Uh, Archimedes principle. Um, the principle of buoyancy, why things float in the water, right? Archimedes' principle tells us that for something to flow in the water, the, 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 the amount of water displaced when you put that thing in the water has to be equal to the weight of the object, otherwise it will sink, okay? So this principle is used to calculate a lot of things in our daily lives, like, like how a ship would float. If you've ever been into a boat, they use Archimedes' principle to calculate, for the, you know, to make sure that the boat actually floats, otherwise... And so um, it is also a principle to how to hold an air balloon in the air. Uh, so it is a principle that is at work in our lives. And you say, no, not really. Well, uh, you see when you eat wontons and the wontons are floating on your soup? <laughs> That's our community's principle for you. So the principle is working in our lives even though we don't know it. We, we might not know it, right? You might not be a scientist. You have no idea or you forgot all your grade 12 physics. And you don't know that this principle is working in your life. 
And this is the same with Jesus. He's working in us whether we know it or not. And the interesting part is this. We're all going to end up before Jesus whether we know it or not. It only matters how you arrive. Either you're facing him because he's there or you're facing away from him. You're still moving towards him. So how do you want to arrive? Do you want to arrive facing him or you want to arrive facing away from him? To face him, we need to respond. We need to respond. How do we respond? We respond by placing him at the center of our lives. Okay, that's what it says in, in, in verses 21 to 23. And once you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of the flesh in order to present you blameless and above reproach before him. See, we're all going to be before him. But what we need to respond is this. In, we need to continue in faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So we need to respond by centering our lives in Jesus. Continue to stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We need to continue not shifting, which means we need to recalibrate from time to time. We need to recalibrate our lives. Now, you know that sometimes when you have... Uh, uh, when you're a bit off, at the very end of the path, you're way off. I'm going to give you an example of that. Um, many, many years ago, uh, I, I used to help Emily cut uh, things for her school. And she, once, once she gave me this cutter, which is a slider, so all you do is put a piece of paper there and slide through, and you'll be perfectly cut. And she gave it to me. She said, you should do this while you're watching TV because you're not doing anything. I was like, okay, if you trust me, because I'm watching TV. So I put the thing down, and I, instead of grabbing paper by paper, I grab a stack of paper, put it all together, and I say, oh, yeah, that's about right. Zoop. Watch TV, keep on doing that. And then at the end of it, I realize, wait, wait a minute. I thought it was just a little bit off. How come the pages are cut like this instead of straight line? It's because the little change in that, if I don't center every single piece every time, you end up in the wrong place. I'll end up cutting more than I had to. I end up cutting the wrong thing. We need to recenter it every single time. What I should have done was put every single page there and measure it, make sure that it's at the center before I move forward. That's how we need to recalibrate. Every time we need to return to the center in Jesus in our lives. So are we moving our lives towards Jesus or away from him? Are we facing him? Or more directly, do we live with Jesus at the center of our life? Now, I want to practically, uh, if we want to practically live with Jesus as our ultimate destiny and goal, this is what we need to do. Every time we go through our lives or as we are living our lives, we need to, ask, uh, we need to allow Jesus to inform us, inform us of who we are. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Jesus, how are you guiding my decisions to love others? Is it based on love of God and others? Is Jesus shaping our world when I come to him? If I'm thinking, am I thinking, yes, we all belong to Jesus, all of us. And my worldview is, should be the worldview that Jesus has for this world. <clears throat> it's our inspiration from Jesus to take action every day. Do we wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to live a life that is God glorifying, that gives glory to his name? See, if we live with Jesus at our center, we always come back to him no matter what challenge or difficulty we're going with. Now, for those of you who are not yet believers, you can respond to this as well. You can respond to this and make Jesus the goal of your life and start moving towards him. For those of us who are believers, we need to continue to push forward in faith and not lose faith. 
Keep moving towards Jesus. Keep centering your life in Jesus. Now we're going to end soon. But so far we only got bread. Right? Where's the meat? Where's the meat? I need to take a sip of water, so I'm going to keep it in suspense for a moment. Where's the meat? The meat? The meat is in verse 17. Now I said to you in the very beginning, verses 15 to 20, it's a hymn, a song of poetry. At the very center of that poetry is a very important statement about Jesus. And he says this. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Jesus has been keeping it all together. He's the natural center of life. Jesus is the one holding all of creation together. In other words, he's sustaining life. He's keeping it all together. He's at the center of all of it. And Jesus is not only the center or a better center, he's the natural center. He's the goal, our ultimate destiny. God put Jesus at the center when he made him Lord of creation. God put Jesus at the center when he made him Lord of new creation. God put Jesus at the center when he died and rose again. He's the source that sustains life and new creation. And without him, all will eventually fail. Without him, without Jesus, we will all experience eternal death. See, all creation was heading to destruction. But he's holding on. He's sustaining it so that that won't happen. He's been sustaining it from the beginning of time. And he's sustaining it all the way to the end of time. Take a moment to think about this. It's not, oh, God created the world. He got tired of humans because we sinned. So he said, my son, Jesus, you go and take care of them. No, it was Jesus who created the world. And he's been sustaining it all along. Even when people turn away from him, even when they said, we don't want you, Jesus, and we want to walk away from you, Jesus was still holding on. And then he came to die for us so that we can continue to be sustained in him. See, Jesus never let go. He never let go and he will never let go. So even if you're feeling lonely or maybe you think things don't go your way and your things are tearing apart in your life, just remember he never let go. See, the world believes the lie that we are pulling away from Jesus, but Jesus is holding on. Even when creation turned away from him, he has been holding on to the extent that he's showing up what unconditional love is. You know what that is? He created us out of love and he sealed his love at the cross he created us out of his grace and he cemented his grace at the cross this is our Jesus and he's giving us an opportunity all of us to have eternal life to come back to him and face him the right way not the wrong way and all we need to do is respond we need to come back to him we need to recalibrate if we need to do that. We need to place him at the center of our lives. This is why we say that there is hope in Jesus. Because we know that he is sustaining this to the end. No one else would do that. We can do that. No other center can do that. Work, money, family, all those things are good, but they can hold you. The only thing that can hold you all the way is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now why? I'm going to say this and we're going to end with this. Because he's the perfect image of God. Because he is above all beings. Because he's the Lord of everything. And remember what our verses say. By him we are created. For him we are created. To him we are reconciled. So that before him we can stand. And all this because in him all things 
hold together and he is holding on to you that's why there is no better center than jesus and this is why we must all respond and place jesus at the center of our lives amen, amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for being at the center of our lives. Help us recalibrate our lives and center ourselves in you. Help us not be afraid, but remember that you are bringing us closer to you, that you are working in our lives even though we don't know it. And so, Father, I pray that as we go in our daily lives, we remember to come back to you in for everything, Lord, for, for our identity, for our decisions, for our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us see the way you do. Please be our center, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't need to say much after that powerful message this morning from Pastor Jorge and a perfect lead up to this one question today is, have you received Jesus as your Savior? See, we've learned this morning that Jesus is the center of all things. When we put something else at the center, life sucks. When we put something else at the center, we don't find what we're looking for. We don't find the peace that we're looking for. We have no hope for tomorrow. We're focused in on ourselves. We're depending on our own very limited strength. But when we look to Jesus Christ and we ask him to come into our lives, he makes us brand new. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Maybe you're here today and this is your first time inside a church. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that God really loves you, so much so that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. If you want to receive Jesus Christ today, if you want to be forgiven of your sins and be called a child of God, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. It's as simple as praying a prayer to him. It's not so much the words that you pray as much as the attitude of your heart, being willing to receive him into your life. And if that's you today and you know you need Jesus, why don't you lift your hand to Jesus right now? Why don't you lift your hand to heaven right now? Don't worry about what your neighbor is doing or how they're responding. You respond to God today because this is for you right now. If you need Jesus in your life, why don't you lift your hand to God? And we're going to pray with you and for you right now. Let's all pray this together in support of those praying it for the first time. You can just pray this together. Just lift your hand to God and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that when I was far from you, you sent Jesus Christ your son, your son to pay for my sins, for my sins. To, die on the cross, to die on the cross to rise from the grave, from the grave so that I can have life, so can have life. and so today, so today I receive you, I receive you. Come, into my life. come into my life forgive me of my sins, me of my sins. make me a new creation Thank you that because of Jesus, I have a brand new start. I'm a citizen heaven. I'm a child of God. And the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand to heaven right now? Praise God. Let's give God a big hand in this place right now. Come on, give him a big shout together. Amen.